Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Maddie Deschamps. Uh, hopefully, I got the last name correct, but Matt, happy to have you on. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I was really excited. You know, I, I've listened to your podcast a lot, and uh, the guests that you you do have on, or um, the conversations that you guys have, is really enlightening. And so, um, you know, for me to be able to get on with you is is awesome. Man, we we have an exciting lineup here, so let's let's get straight into it. Um, you and I talked a lot about scanning in the past, uh, personally. So talking about processing and taking in information is absolutely critical elements. Um, and something massive to even what you guys look for when you're identifying talent. Um, curious on starting at the basics here of how to take in information. How are you guys going about, how are you focusing on taking in information so players can then make decisions and then execute on those decisions? Uh, to truly play the game at a very high level. I mean, it's it's so important to to player development and and having quote unquote um, IQ hockey IQ is is being able to take in information, process it, and then make a decision based upon what you're seeing. You know, I, I think it always started like when I was a kid. Um, it was you know head on a swivel. And then it's progressed into shoulder checking. And now we're talking more about, uh, about scanning. Um, and I, I do like um, the idea and uh, the verbiage of scanning. So you're, you're basically taking a, a full view of, of, of everything on the ice and then taking your information. You know, I, I think um, Adam Nicholas came up with, with that term and, and we've, used it here and and it's stuck and and it's it's something that's foundational for for what we do so um whether it is a, a skill session um or uh in practice rep we are harping on our guys to to scan the ice you know not just check we want them to see the entire ice and as they do it um i think it slows the game down for the guys and when the game becomes slower um, inherently players can make better plays. So that's a huge piece to, to what we do. And in talking to our players is how much information are you taking in? And when you really go and look at, um, you know, players that are, are maybe struggling a bit, um, that's something that you're going to see is you're going to see that they're very straight lined with their vision. 
and they're not taking a lot of information and then they're getting spooked in terms of the game seems very fast or they're, you know, they don't feel the pressure that's coming at them. So they can't make, um, they can't make the play. They can't make the adjustment. They can't see space. Um, yeah, it's huge. And then from that, how are you teaching them to process this type of information? Because obviously having it is great, but you've got to process that information as well to eventually make a decision and be able to execute on that. So let's just keep going down this whole chain here of how someone perceives and then takes action. For sure. So obviously we, we talk about taking in that information, but then like you just said, what do you do with it? Um, and I, I think that has a lot to do with, okay, the way that your team plays systematically, do you know, um, in the environment, what you're supposed to do. And then the other thing is, is it's really done a lot through video. You know, we'll, we'll sit down with players individually and we'll go over, I think a big thing, and especially talking about D is, is on retrievals. You know, when they're going back um, to retrieve a puck, they're taking in information and you can see it clearly on, on video, you know, and then you talk to them afterwards, you say a guy, you know, he, he's picking up the puck in the corner and he can take the net. He's got, he's got room to do so. Maybe the four checker is coming down, uh, coming down the wall and he chooses to cut back. Um, really that that's just showing that he didn't take enough information. So what we would do is we would go over, we'd watch that clip, we'd talk through it. And then, you know, in practice, we'd put them in environments where now they have to, to again, um, take that information and let's see if, if they can make a, a different decision, a better decision. And then on the ice, we have iPads on the ice. We have everything filmed so we can go and instantly talk to them about the read. And then we're going to put them in the environment again and again until they get it. So it sounds like from an activity standpoint of what you're deciding to work on, it's less about the drill and more about the reads and the environment itself that you're creating. Is that correct? That is 100% correct. I think a lot of times we put players in drills where uh, I, I always talk to our guys about, um, hey, you know, the, the, the quote from Allen Iverson, you know, we're talking about practice, not a game, practice. And I think when we were installing drills, they're just doing the drills. You know, a lot of times cones are out, apparatuses are out. There's no real reads for that. You have to put the players in environments that resemble uh, the game and, and you know, what's going to happen in the game. So a lot of times what we do is we, we put pressure on them. Even in skill sessions, We'll have uh, we'll have opposition against them. We'll put constraints on them. You know, um, our staff is is really big on on competitive games and ones that mirror, um, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. Whether it is uh, breakout forecheck, ozone, whatever. 
Um, but we're, we're huge on that rather than the, you know, the static drill just to go and, and get a rep of collecting a puck, getting the net and passing to your wing. You know, I, I think you have to have, uh, the pressure and you have to have the organic environment to, to really grow in those reads. Interesting. So I feel like most coaches and even players and parents, probably when they hear skill drills, are thinking just basically like lines in a corner or three lines on the goal line. And we're going to go down or make this cut around this apparatus, this object on the ice and build skill that way. And you're saying, no, we're not doing that. Is there a reason behind that? Again, it comes back to the original part of um, what we're talking about is, is, making reads and scanning and, and having an environment where it's more, it more resembles a game. I think that's, that's huge. And when you have, um, when you have tires, when you have, you know, uh, things you have to jump over and you got to do a spin or you got to, you know, um, slide on your elbow or whatever it is, it, it doesn't really, doesn't represent what your, the environment, of the game. And at the end of the day, that's what we want to teach. That's what we want to work on is, is creating skill within the game, not, uh, you know, not, not skill that, uh, isn't translatable. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's some, something that you can do in your garage, but when it actually comes to the game, that's what we want to work on. So what, what I'm understanding is you're thinking that the traditional, like on the goal line, we all go down with apparatus, creates a practice player because the player can't recall it in the situations where they actually need to perform it during a game. And that's what we're seeing. We're, we're seeing a lot of that now. We're seeing a lot of players that can um, – and, and I'm talking more about um, from a dad point of view now because, you know, I've got two sons – um, that are 13 and 10 that are in the game and you're you're seeing all these kids that can skate amazing they have unbelievable hands and they can shoot the lights out but when you drop the puck and the game is played you know the the sense the the being able to see time and space um, and use your teammates is what you don't see and a lot of that does come from the isolated skills of going through apparatuses and, and just going around and doing drills. You know, I, I think you think about how skilled players, you know, like from older times that in Minnesota, they have so much access to ice. Um, you know, they're on the ponds or, or on the backyard rinks with their buddies. Like, that's where you really become skilled is where, where you're just playing in those free environments. Um, and we, as coaches, we can do that, but with structure and with um, an end zone or an end result in mind, it just, it just takes some time to, to really think it out of really what you want out of it and then build backwards in, in a drill or, or in a game. So I want to go backwards and then we'll touch on that point forwards. Uh, and 
where I want to go with this is you talked about and mentioned briefly that you actually have iPads on the ice. Are these on benches or does each coach have an iPad that they're grabbing and filming a rep? How, how does that work for, for you or how do you best show it to players and have those conversations on the ice? Uh, so we have it twofold. So we have, we have a coach on the ice and, and again, I'll give uh, Adam credit, uh, Adam was a big proponent of this. Um, so we'll have a, a coach on the ice that actually is, is filming. Um, and then he'll talk to the players in line. Uh, and then we have all our, our practice filmed and we have, um, we pretty much have a live stream down to the iPad. So, um, a big one for me is is a line rush against a because uh, obviously I I coach the D. The two defensemen can take a line rush, and then get back to me in line, and I can show them right away. I can show them the rep, and then we can talk through it, and then they go again, and and that visual, and then the feedback makes makes the adjustment happen so much faster when they can see themselves well the video doesn't lie nope <laughs> that, that that is an all-encompassing thing when you can see yourself and you're, you think you did well and then you would watch the video and you're like and eh, maybe i didn't do it as good as i thought i did and suddenly uh, it just clicks I, I i can get behind that any day i, I did it myself with a player and probably had similar experiences as as did i i you know when thinking about it i thought i was a really really good and then going back and watching some of my old games, I I, whew, I could have used a, a few years with the steel for sure. <laughs> uh, that's excellent. Um, uh, where to go with this? So many good spots. Uh, let's let's go back to your fast forward here and go towards your your expertise, which right now is currently uh, with the defenseman. And you're, you're not teaching defensemen to just stay within the dots, absorb the line rushes, things like that. Um, you know, we're talking about like how Roman Yossi is defending as a good example. And then maybe we go there, kind of how we're teaching modern day defensemen how to play the game, because it's not just skating backwards and absorbing and waiting for things to happen. No, it's, it's not. And it's probably further. It's the furthest thing that from what we do. Uh, you know, we want our guys, I think it's rooted first in their footwork. We, we want our guys playing on forward angles and being really efficient with their feet, um, you know, to make the defensive side of the game um, easier. And then it's then to their stick detail, like how efficient are they at taking um, time and space away from the defenders uh, or I'm sorry, with the, the, the offensive players with their sticks. And then, you know, from there it's okay on transition, what are your reads you're getting, you know, how do you get into the play and then uh, into the offensive zone? Um, again, talking about reads, scanning the ice to be able to see, um, when you can activate into the rush down, uh, down into the zone. And really just be more creative and more active offensively in the zone than traditionally um, just standing at the point and getting a, a low to high where you're just going to, you know, throw a, a puck to the net. We really value um, high percentage chances. So, 
for us, you're not going to see us, um, you know, just throw pucks in from the high elbow. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that speaks to the way that we play, but it's, it's why I think the D that are with us really enjoy uh, being here is because they have the ability to, to activate and be more creative in the offensive zone. So breaking this down and starting with the, the defense side of first, right? They are defensemen, mm-hmm. so they, they got to stop the play. Um, you talked about footwork first and, and using forward angles to defend. So actively and proactively going after players and taking away time and space. Um, I'm assuming that that's exactly what you referred to when you're talking about Roman Yossi's modern day defense. Yes. Yeah, correct. I mean, um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to, to be on the ice with him a few times and you know, if I was in Switzerland with him and, and I don't think he'd mind me saying, but, you know, if you're just going to do edge work and things like that, like you're like, eh, oh, he's, he's all right. But then once you drop the puck, he is incredible, absolutely incredible because of the way that, um, the way that he reads the game, um, how smart he is with his stick. And he's also really, really explosive, um, skating, you know, forward and, and you'll see him, angle a lot of guys forward he's got a great stick and you know i talk to our guys all the time about um defense modern day defensemen that also defend against top players in the league and i i think that's the mark of uh, a true elite defenseman is yes this guy can put up 60 points but he's going to go up against the top lines in the league and be really effective in his defending. You know, there's we we kind of joke about a term uh, with our guys. We we call you know tease guys, and we say, uh, you know, you're an offenseman, where it's it, it's all just about offense, and then trying to find that balance and and teach the guys uh, to really value uh, the defending side, uh, and when they do. Uh, sure enough, they end up getting more offense out of it because they're quick to close. They're they're hard on pucks. They'll they'll get into not necessarily body, but into hands to separate uh, players from pucks, and then they're going on offense. So there's no disconnect between oh, I made the pass and just get it to the forward. It's you know I may be leading the rush. I could be taking this puck and just going with it, not just ah did my job. Now I can float up the ice hang out at the blue yeah the, the days of watching the play uh go north after you've made your outlet pass is is pretty much over um you know like the modern game you want to have uh as many numbers as possible in the rush so after that pass it's it's actually more important what you do next what you do off puck um you know and we talk about it all the time is, is the habits away from the puck set you up for success. Um, whether it's, you know, activating as a weak side D, how are you going to do it? What's the read? Um, or if you're, if you're the D that is in line rush and has the puck, um, trying to find your teammates, trying to create two on ones and, and the approach to do that. So, yeah, we're, we're what we do too is we we make 
in practice, we make a lot of guys interchangeable. You know, forwards need to be taking line rush and a line rush against, and the D need to be in line rush during practice. So when they get in those environments in the game, there's recall, they're comfortable. I, I remember when I was playing, if I got a puck uh, below the dots, I had no idea what to do in the offensive zone, like zero, just get it off my stick because the only thing that I had recall of was getting a puck at the point and maybe running on the blue line and shooting. But down low, I had no clue. And we want to make sure that our players are are well-versed and, and are able to be in those environments so they're comfortable when they activate and they're, they're down below the goal line. Awesome. And this kind of carries itself into the idea of playing fast, which playing fast sometimes can get a misnomer. So, you know, it's just like go, go, go nonstop when there there is playing fast from a possession standpoint as well. It's, they're not mutually exclusive where you, you play possession, all you're just keeping it and you're always going backwards and never really attacking versus playing fast. Like we just attack and then nothing else matters. Um, and I'm assuming I, I think it's, yeah, I, think it's a, I, I think it's interesting when, when you talk about playing fast and then, you know, you move a puck to dump it in. You know, it's now I think that's one of those words that's kind of been overused. Um, and I, I think playing fast means it, it is about possession. It's about moving the puck to advance it, but not putting a player on an island by himself just because you want to move the puck forward as fast as possible. It's, it's about, you know, you, you can collect it bring it back, but then move it with numbers and then you're entering the zone with possession and then you're able to create. But I, I think a lot of times now's playing fast is just throwing it up to, um, you know, a guy isolated on an island and then he's getting outnumbered and he's just going to, he's going to dump the puck. Yes. I think that's another critical element which you talked about is like players being on an island. And a lot of times you hear coaches always saying, head man the puck, head man, head man the puck, just to get it up. But is that the best situation? Maybe it's the week's ID. Like we talked about, they're activating and getting up the ice where they've got the time and the space and more importantly, the speed differential that they've built off the puck before they even touch the puck. For me, yeah, I no think doubt. that's where playing fast really is. Is like finding where the advantages are, speed, numbers, etc. And how do you do that? Well, you got to look around, right? You got to scan, right? So it kind of goes back to what what we're talking about is is scanning the ice and 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 seeing the environment, seeing where um, where you can expose. Um, a team's defense or where, where the open ice is. I think that's, that's a big one too, is, is trying to expose open ice and, and moving the play or, um, you know, with the puck into that area, or if you're off puck moving into that area to, to manipulate uh, a team's, uh, a team structure. Love it. Um, let's, let's do, a little sideways here, similar idea. And we've kind of talked on this a little bit 
but just creating the learning environment itself. Now we've talked about it from a practice standpoint, but there's more that goes into just showing up and practicing and saying, Hey, this is a learning environment. You know, what actually goes into developing that for the players so they can truly get the most out of it. I I think it is one and probably most important is creating a relationship, like a true relationship with the player and like really getting to understand who they are, um, you know, what they're really good at, what they perceive they're not good at. Um, and, and also just who they are as a kid, how they learn, you know, what they like. That's so important. I remember, um, when I was working over in Europe, I, I met a, a coach named, uh, Mats Emanuelson and he, and he always had, had talked to me about not coaching with a mask on, you know, I, I think you have to be authentic to yourself and you have to let and be comfortable with the players seeing that maybe you don't know everything and you might screw up a couple times. Um, the players then are able to trust you because they see that, you know, you're, you're not, you're not a robot and, and, uh, and you can create that connection. And once you have their trust and you have a, a healthy dialogue, then you can be honest with them and then you can ask for more or then you can start having that back and forth. I think the back and forth um, dialogue is where um, where the players grow, is where they feel comfortable enough um, to ask questions or disagree, you know, and and then be able to talk through those things that here with with the steel i i've had i've been so fortunate with the the group of of d that i've had year year to year and being able to create those relationships where a player can say yeah coach like i don't know if i really like that read because of x y and z and i i can i can say you know what in this situation, you might be right. And allowing them to feel like they have a voice and they can almost change my mind, um, I think is I think it's key. I think it's really, really important. Um, you know, Owen Power, you, you you know, he's he's obviously amazing and sees the game. Um I would sit down and just watch clips with him and I just listen because I'd end up learning probably more. And there's been tons of other guys. And, and then you build the relationship within the team and you galvanize the group. And then you can start having players teach each other when they feel like the environment is, is safe and it's, it's positive and everybody's growing together. Um, you know, I, I've had former players that, um, you know, I've kind of tasked with teaching the other guy and, and then I can focus, you know, I'd pair them together. One guy would be veteran. The other guy would be, uh, a more of a newer player. And so that would give the player that is the veteran, give him ownership 
and but also like he's got to teach so he's got to be on his own details too um and i i thought that has been really effective but it for me i i do think it's it's building it's building the relationships first and then and then growing from there i i love that element where the player teaching needs to raise their own standards um, and this comes back to, I think every single coach, like they're way better at playing the one to three years after they stop competitive, competitively playing. Cause they're, they're like, Oh yeah, I got to actually do the detail I'm talking about. I can't just like say, it and then not do it or they're picking up all these little details where they're trying to help a player. Or they're trying to figure out, okay, why is this player struggling? Oh, it's because of this. Well, now I add that to my game as well. And it's just a great way to go about it from, it's not just coming from the coach, but also from everyone around you. So now you've got a whole environment where, hey, I want to make you better because it makes me better, which makes our entire team better. It just continues to grow and it builds off each other. It's like a catch-22 on the way up. It, it was the year that we won it. Um, we, had, we had Jack Babbage, who is now at UNH, who was one of our – was our leader on the back end, but was uncommitted. Um, and was, you know, at the end of his junior career in terms of age out. And then we had Ian Moore who had played, um, who had played prep school the year before and ended up being, a, I believe, a fourth round draft pick, uh, going to Harvard. Um, Ian ended up going to play world juniors, but Ian's details coming from prep school were, they were just weren't there yet. And when you talk to Ian, Ian actually gives Jack the credit, a kid, you know, and just think about that environment, a kid who's an NHL draft pick in our environment is secure enough and open enough to listen to a player who's uncommitted and, you know, and Ian at the time was, was a higher profile player, but Ian's, growth really directly had to do with that relationship and the growth of that relationship. And Jack, on the other hand, had an amazing year because of, um, you know, taking ownership and trying to help somebody else's development. It was, it was awesome to see. It was really, you know, um, I'll always remember that as a, as an amazing, uh, almost like, experience little little petri dish uh science project now i've talked to a few of you steel guys by now and that seems to be a massive thing for you guys is creating this um environment where the older players take ownership of the younger players for many different reasons and they may get less ice time but they understand the big picture further and how it's actually helping their development by almost getting less but they're giving more because they give more, they receive more. And these are some, some great examples. It's quite the sentence there. I won't have you repeat it again, but no, I, I don't uh, know what I'm talking about right now. I, I get the idea in my head and I'm trying to flush it out into a concise but sentence. It, but it is, it's, it's, it's the environment. It speaks to um, the culture that is, that is set and has always, has always been there. Um, and it, and it is from top to bottom. It is from the players that come in from the coaches that come and then graduate 
um, that environment is, is set there and it is about um, players first. And when you have from our end, from the coach's view, when it is about the player first, um, those type of environments can grow. And it, I think it's, it gives the players more ownership in their own experience and, and allows them to feel fulfilled um, with that experience when they can, yes, it's, it's, it is about you. It's about um, your development and, but it's also what, what can you do for others? And, and that's a, that's a huge piece just as a, as a human being is, is, you know, what can you do to better somebody else's life or better somebody else's experience? And, and I think it ends up uh, enhancing your own experience. So that's a, that's a key piece to just the culture. It really is. That's awesome. Helping others helps you on so many different levels. That's, that's fantastic. Um, you'd mentioned with Owen Power, you were watching video and I feel like when I talk to a lot of players and their experiences with video, it's a lot of like, I'm just making sure I'm not the one screwing up in the video. Otherwise I'm falling asleep over here. Um, and from my understanding, that's not what you're looking for or how you go about showing video is being up in front of a room, showing them screwing up and oh, how terrible this is and rewinding it seven times for the whole team to watch over and over again. No, I don't think that's productive. And I don't think that's the the modern player. You know, these kids all love watching the game. And there's there's no good reason to blow a kid up in front of his peers. It just it's there's nothing's good gonna come out of that. I think the the real learning comes um you know, when you have individual sessions, when you just sit down and you, you just ask a kid, what, well, what did you see here? And, and you guys talk through it, but I, I think they do turn off if you're just going and you're the only voice in the room, you know, at a, at a certain point, if you're trying to teach and everything is negative and you're the only voice in the room, you know, the earmuffs are going to come on at some point. And, and I think about that when I was a player, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I think everybody knows that they messed up, but it's talking about everything before and after. Um, I think, I think that's where you can have a bigger impact is talking about the environment that led to it not necessarily the the play that um the play that they made and then how they reacted afterwards i think our game is a game of mistakes kids are going to make mistakes and that's okay but how you know how it how it led up to that and then what happens afterwards is is probably more important and if we're if we're talking and the players honest with the what he sees we should be able to get through it and it shouldn't be a like a you know a negative experience and then i think you just have to let the kids talk like 
I, I think video sessions should be a conversation. And there should be a lot of questions being asked and allowing them to talk and then you can get somewhere. But how do you really know if any of that stuff is sinking in if you're the only one talking? That's that's the tough part I find is like people just throw a bunch of information at a wall and don't check for the understanding or listen enough to understand where the player's at. So I, I love that you're talking about video sessions should be a conversation. Um, and, and sometimes and I would also, say it also goes back though. If we, we take a step back again, it goes back to, it can only be a conversation if you built a relationship first. Not the, what did you see and just understanding and then just, just waiting for your turn to come in here. Um, so I think that that's such a critical element because there's gotta be that psychological safety that we've been talking about in the environment, but also just giving the players the ownership and the freedom to do it. And sometimes maybe it's just shut up and don't say anything and just have a conversation happen between the players. Like some of the, my best video sessions have been when I just show a clip, ask a player, what did he see and say, I'm not saying anything. I want you all to be asking questions and being inquisitive, just seeing how they're all processing it differently. And they're like grouped problem solving together and coming up with reads and solutions and possibilities. I think it's super helpful because I find it really hard for players to get out of their own heads and what they see, like to see the new possibilities until yeah. someone else says it when it's not coming from a coach. Oh man, that's powerful. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to get out of the way. You know, we'll have, um, we'll have meetings at some point where I'll, I'll set up a softball and then I'll just leave and let, and let the kids talk through it together. Um, yeah, again, going back to our environment, we're, we're at the point where guys, guys actively want to do video. And I've actually had players that, um, you know, want it, want to clip it, want to understand how to do it. And you'll have a couple players around, around my desk, uh, you know, uh, clipping NHL games. Uh, just to say it's watch more cider, how he angles, how, you know, how he puck protects and you'll have guys just in there clipping. And I just stand right out of the way. I just get right out of the way because that's, that's them learning together and that's them doing it in an environment where they're, they're the ones driving it. And when you see that, you just you have to step out of the way and allow allow them to to grow, and because you don't need to be the driver of their development, they are. Yeah, you just need to set the environment up and maybe be uh, some guardrails here and there. Uh, um, one other thing I want to ask you about is watching your shifts versus watching NHL shifts. Um, and, and where you see the pros and cons of each and when you might encourage one over the other. Um, I think there is, I think there's, there's good in both. I, I think they have to have a mental model of, um, 
of an NHL player or players that they aspire to be that they can study and learn from. Um, and I, and I also think that early on in the year, watching shifts is, is good. I think, um, so you can, they can get the overall view of the game, but I think as the year goes, I think it needs to be more pointed. Um, you know, if, if a player needs, uh, help with line rush against, I think it's more pointed where, um, the video goes, um, just to that focus point and then you would match it with um that 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 player comparable that nhl guy that they that they look up to and so you give them a okay this is where you're at now this is how this guy does it and and see what they can pick up from it i think it's a healthy exercise are there any players that you encourage your defensemen to take a peek at uh I mean, there, there's, I, I think there's a, there's a long list. Um, you know, Yossi is one of them. Um, you know, Maurice Sider, uh, Makar. Um, yeah, I mean, you can go down the list. There's, there's, there's a ton of guys that um, do an incredible job at the NHL level that is translatable to, um, the D that we're trying to develop uh, with the steel. All right. Now that, they, now they, now they get to watch Owen this year too. So that's another great one. Yeah. Feed it back into the program. Right. But I, I love how you picked uh, Yossi and cider. Cause those are the two guys I used on my uh, presentation for the 2022 Columbus hockey coaches summit. So shout out to everyone to go watch that on YouTube. Two good guys to watch for sure. All right, so we have lots of areas to go, but I want to wrap this up with uh, something very specific uh, for, for the nerds out there uh, around developing your penalty kill. Because obviously the schemes are going to be different, um, but you can build some major key items into your PK that translate no matter where your players go next. Yeah, I, I think it is the, the mindset and the, the habits uh, of those players within the, within the penalty kill environment. Um, yeah. I mean, you can be running any type of, of system, but if you have your players bought into the value of a penalty kill and the value of, you know, say it's the tempo in which they're trying to kill stopping and starting stick detail, um, you know, the, the, the reads and shoulder checks when you're in the zone to see where, um, the pop guy is, see where the seam is, see where the low play is being able to, to scan the environment. Uh, those are huge. And, and then it is, is really about like, can you get the players that are on your penalty kill to value killing as much as they would valuing being on the power play? You know, if you can get a player to feel the same type of uh, energy that they would if they had a successful power play and they scored, if you can get it flipped on the other side and those players feel that same type of energy when they're able to have a two-minute kill and be really successful, I think that's where that's where 
things can go in the right direction for, for your special team is, is being able to, to make sure that the players feel like their investment to the kill is having a direct connection to the success of the team. And, and I will throw out there that I think the players that love the PK and being, ha I got you. You didn't get anything on this. Probably love the game more than any other. And there's just yeah, something I, with that. Yeah, there, I, I think there is something to that. Of, of that's the that's the compete in players. That's the grit coming out in players. And when you can when you can put them in an environment where they really value that, uh, you're going to have a competitive group. Yeah, sounds like uh, Brad Marchand right there. Yeah, yeah. I'll take a few of those all day long. Awesome. Well, uh, Matt, this has been a fun conversation. Uh, I know we'll have you back on in the future here, but I want to give you uh, two minutes to shout out, talk about anything you want. Uh, Floor is all yours, so take it wherever you want. Hell, you can even talk politics, which would be a terrible decision, but you can do it. No, you're not going to hear that out of me. Uh, No, one, I... I think this platform is, is amazing. Um, you know, all of us have down times in our, um, you know, within our work life or personal life where we can invest in, in trying to, uh, to learn, grow, get better. Um, everybody talks about now having, uh, you know, a growth mindset. Well, being able to put in your ear pods and, and, and listen to someone like yourself that's having amazing guests that, uh, that you can grow from is, uh, is a great opportunity and something that we need to continue to take advantage of. And it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be hockey. You know, it, it, it can be, uh, a certain educator. It can be from baseball. It can be from soccer. It can be from basketball. You just have to find um, outlets that allow your mind to to run, uh, allows you to to think outside the box. Because as hockey coaches, we get so conditioned into our day to day and 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 what the current game is, is like, but to really grow and start being progressive, you have to look outside of our game for new influences. And I I think, um, you know, being confident enough to, to find inspiration outside of our game can really help uh, the development of you as a coach and the development of your players Uh, because other sports, honestly do things better than we do and it's about us going out and trying to find what are the things that they're doing that we can apply to how we're doing things within our sport to make ultimately to to make the game better to make the players better well said sir uh i joke with dan all the time like sooner or later the hockey iq newsletter is just gonna become a soccer piece from how many times I take concepts from there and just plop them in. Uh, but no, I, I know some very high level development folks in the game. And I know, you know, some similar folks or the same folks and uh, they really just do not listen or watch much hockey anymore. They're just trying to steal from other sports because the concepts are very applicable. So 
love that. Uh, I want to thank you, Matt, so much for coming on. This is a fantastic conversation. Looking forward to another future one and in due time. Absolutely. Anytime is my pleasure. And I, I really appreciate you having me on. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.